What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the Crazy Face Uno podcast, where everyone has a story and everyone's story matters. What's your story? If you would like to support the show and help us tell more stories like the one you're about to hear, please visit crazyfaceuno.com today. You can purchase items from our online store or even donate. And as always, I'm your host, Shane McNeely, and boy, are you in for a treat today. It's my honor and privilege to introduce my guest today, uh, old friend and old uh, friend and person I used to coach. His name is Travis Gallinger. What up, Travis? Not too much. How you doing, Shane? I'm doing well, man. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, can't say I ever expected to even be invited to do one of these, so uh, <laughs> it's it's pretty interesting. Yeah, well, you welcome. Must, I, uh, you must be hurting for guests, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> guess so, guess so. No, it's great. I think it'll be uh, a good time. You, uh, we, we caught up for, shoot, over an hour yesterday, actually, so... Um, and there's just so much to, to tell. I know, you know, I've reiterated it many times, but I really, truly believe that, you know, everyone has a story and that everyone's story matters. And so it's, it'll be fun. We'll, we'll have a good time. Um, I look forward to it. Yeah. As I kind of mentioned in my intro, um, I, one of my, how we first met was I was back in college and I had volunteered, um, to help coach at your high school and so I would come in a few days a week and and you would uh you were there and that's how we first met yeah you would come in and kick my ass <laughs> which you still uh you have a little you know you, you got a little you haven't forgot that let's say I think the word you're looking for is resentment. <laughs> and yeah, there's still a little there. <laughs> uh, it's funny because we were talking yesterday and, and you uh, you didn't realize that I had started wrestling so late in life. No, I didn't. And and the one thing that, that we spoke of earlier is the wrestling coach was my neighbor when I moved in in kindergarten. So yeah. I had literally been wrestling since kindergarten. <laughs> so I'm glad you you failed to mention or that I didn't know that you had just started wrestling five years prior. Cause <laughs> I would have been even more pissed. Um, well, you're welcome. Yeah, I guess. For, for, uh, for whatever reason, you know, you're, I mean, we weren't, we weren't really intertwined that long, like no. maybe a couple months tops. And yeah. it's one of those, like we've always been linked somehow on some social media yeah. stayed in touch but never like in depth and then yeah i heard you had a podcast and i wanted to call and congratulate you because that's kind of where i'm at in my life right now and yeah um yeah so it ended up here yeah you, welcome yeah. <laughs> yeah what uh fill us in just kind of on what you're up to these days and uh what you're currently uh got going on in your life today so uh i think First and foremost, I am a dad. I'm a single dad. I have my daughter half the time, week yeah. on, week off. Cool. Um, I'm currently residing in St. Louis, Missouri, and I am what's called an imagery analyst. Okay. So the way I describe it is it's pretty much Google Earth on steroids. Right. Um, and it's it's a good job. Um, I have a dog, a red-nosed 
named Rags, who I'm essentially fostering at this point in time because yeah. he needs to find a new home. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that's pretty much the gist of what what goes on in my life. Just trying to keep up with the day to day and stay afloat. Yeah, and so it's a your job title is image analyst. Is that what you said? Imagery analyst. Imagery. And so your background is you were a Marine. You are a Marine. Sorry. I, I, uh, I corrected myself. I caught myself. But yeah, you were in the Marines and uh, this is it's a government job and, and it's uh, it's part of, you know, your background from being in the military is is kind of linked to your current job now, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I did eight years in the Marine Corps. I had a pretty diversified career in the Marine Corps. Um, I started out as a personnel administrator, which is basically a, just a paper pusher secretary. And I had the fortunate opportunity to go on a combat deployment and train the Afghan army, which was to me, one of the most influential things in my life. And I'm sure we'll get to later. Sure. And, uh, that was in my first enlistment. And when time came around to, because I was hell bent on getting out of the Marine Corps. Um, when time came around to get out, I was like, holy shit, I haven't done anything necessary to get out. Yeah. Um, so I spent all of the money in my savings and I changed jobs and I wanted to do something. <laughs> my first my first choice for a new career was going to be EOD, actually. And What's that stand for? Because um, Explosives Ordnance Disposal basically disarming bombs and, okay. and whatnot. And, yeah. And the reason I wanted to do that is because I, I just watched this EOD guy one time. He was looking for, uh, he was looking for an IED in the road. And this dude just walks up and starts kicking dirt around. And I was, and it just blew me away. I was like, that's what I want to do. <laughs> but it had huge washout rate. And I had some issues with the current job that I was in. So I was like, you know what, I got to use some brain power and I want to influence the guys downrange. So I came upon being an imagery analyst and it's a way that I can help the boots on ground and and actually change the battle space for them and make their lives safer and easier. And so that's that's how I ended up here. Yeah, and I know you can't say a lot about your your job now, but what can like if you were able to describe or the best way to just kind of describe what you what you do and what an imagery analyst is, um, how would you do? How would you go about explaining that? So uh, I think the best way to get people to wrap their their brain around it, <clears throat> not that it's that complex, but is the Google Earth on steroids. So yeah. you take that satellite picture. And not everything is as as it is on on Google Earth. Mm -hmm. So you need somebody to to tell you what's actually on that picture. And that's that's kind of what I do. And there's there's a bunch of different types of pictures. And there is um, it's the broader scope. The umbrella catch is geospatial analyst. And you get that that. That is encompassing of a lot of things. A lot of farmers use it because you can right. you can use certain aspects of it to tell how healthy crops are or where you have water collecting and stuff like that. It's sure. it's got it's um, unclassified applications, but um, it's 
you don't make as much money doing that stuff. So yeah. I stay on the other realm. <laughs> cool, cool. If we're so, you know, you we didn't say where, but you went to a small high school. Did you live there in Indiana? Uh, did you live there all your life then? Is that the, you said that's where you grew up? Yeah, so um, I grew up in a little town called Bourbon, Indiana. It's in between two slightly larger towns, Warsaw <laughs> and Plymouth. Uh, slightly is the, the keyword only... there, if you're listening. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. To to put it in perspective, my town has one stoplight. Yep. And Plymouth and Warsaw are substantially larger, but they're still very small towns in in the grand scheme of things. So it's it's about dead center of Indiana east west and yeah. it's about 30 miles south of the Michigan border so right. and yeah I, I grew up there I lived there since kindergarten essentially so nice. I grew up there I had one year um, in another school system after my parents split up and I was bullied because I was tiny and uh, I my grades just dropped drastically so I got I kind of manipulated the system there and got my way back over to Triton High School. Nice. Triton nice. Middle School. Yeah, you I mean you kind of touched on it there, but what how would you describe your childhood? Uh, uh you know, beauty's in the eye of the beholder. So, I think for me, my childhood was what I needed, yeah. which was uh rough. It was disciplined was full of high expectations and at the same time no expectations um, yeah. and I'll, I'll get to that one but uh it was my parents split up when i was in the fourth grade i think and i remember before like my parents just there was just like one year where they just argued a lot and i don't mm-hmm. remember really recall them arguing too much before then but yeah they split up and uh my mom immediately like moved in with another guy. I remember, I mean, it was only a couple of weeks before she moved in with them. They got married shortly after I liked that dude. And then I absolutely hated that dude. Cause he was a prick. Um, <laughs> we didn't grow up with a whole lot of money. Yeah. Um, we never, we never needed anything. But it was it was money was tight the majority of my my childhood, sure. um, especially on my mom's side. She busted her ass. She did her best, but uh, she just didn't have a whole lot of job skills. Yeah. Um, on my dad's side, he just worked his ass off, and uh, I mean we we did pretty well over there. I mean to those standards, we we did well for what we needed, which wasn't much, and mm-hmm. it was always four wheeling and boating and. He liked to do stuff with us a lot, yeah, and because that's what he grew up doing. So it was one of those where it was it was hard. A lot was expected of me as the oldest of two other boys. Okay, um, but discipline was always physical, and like I said, for some for some people that's not good. But for me, I think it it helped me out because yeah, I'm a tough and resilient individual and. I think that's what I needed growing up. Sure. What were your What were your interests? Were you You said you had started wrestling young, but were you always into athletics and sports, or were there other interests as well? I think cars were probably my first love. Yeah. Um, Hot Wheels. My 
it, it didn't matter. Hot Wheels, <laughs> real cars. Yeah. Uh, my grandfather, I, we used to spend a lot of time at my grandfather's sure. shop. He, he owned a shop when I was younger on my dad's side. And, um, so we were always, we were always in the shop, um, sweeping, playing in Bondo dust. I've got my Hot Wheels cars <laughs> playing in the Bondo dust on the floor or, you know, just sanding a car by hand and, yeah. you know, out playing in the junk cars, acting like I'm driving. So cars, motorcycles, anything with an engine and wheels, I was all about it. Yeah. Um, that was my first love. And I actually only wrestled on and off through elementary. I'd say about half the time in elementary yeah. I wrestled. Um, but I wasn't real passionate. I didn't really understand why I was doing it. The next love was probably Taekwondo. Um, okay. I did that for probably three or four years. Nice. I got one belt shy of a black belt, and cool. that's when my parents got divorced, mm-hmm. and I had to quit going. Yeah. But yeah, those were. But it was always sports. I mean, you know how the small town stuff goes. Like, oh yeah. It's not hard to find, you know, a dozen kids to to go play kickball or baseball or football or whatever. Yeah. Whatever it is, jackpot in the backyard. And, so it it was always what is jackpot and where you've got like a group of kids and one kid plays quarterback and throws it up and you oh call yeah, out yeah, yeah. A, a number we always call it five hundred but jackpot I've jackpot, I've heard it that as well yeah. yeah yeah all right all right I got you mm-hmm. I'm on the same page now uh did you were there generally there's always something that you like said when you were younger that you wanted to be when you grew up do you remember was there anything for you. I mean, I don't recall anything yeah, in particular. specific when I was younger, but I knew in the Marine, in my freshman year, when I watched that, that Marine climb the side of the cliff and go up and slay the dragon with his sword, as corny <laughs> as it sounded, I was like... Yeah, like the commercials, huh? Yep, that's it. I'm, I'm going to go slay fucking dragons too. So their their marketing works. It, it does, because it... I think the thing with their marketing, and I could go on this for forever, go their for marketing targets the people that they know are they're different. And those people mm. may not realize they're different, but it, it just clicks with them, such as the, uh, the one they've got out now with the little girl. And she sees somebody getting bullied, and she says, hey, stop, and turns to clay. And then she's playing rugby, and she takes a, a massive hit, and she turns to clay. And it's it's stuff like that. Like people don't realize these things, like the toughness and and the stuff that they actually have. Mm. And for whatever reason, that and because the Marine Corps market like anybody else. No, well, I should say nobody else markets like the Marine Corps. Yeah. And it's yeah. I just I knew from there. Like it's nobody promised me a bed of roses, and and. Some of us are just made to appreciate the suck more than others, and <laughs> that's yeah. what we were, we're, we're masochists. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, what, like when you were, you know, middle school, high school. What kind of you kind of touched on this, but what kind of student were you? So I was mostly that kid that I got A's and B's. I in elementary school. I think I was just too energetic and it wasn't until middle school that my parents actually started pushing me to get good grades. Mm. 
So I, I would actually try in middle school and I made honor roll once, but it was like, I always had A's and B's just with one C. And usually it was a, it was a math subject of whatever kind. Yeah. And that was pretty much the rest of my, my school career was A's and B's with one C without really trying. Like I didn't really have to study. I didn't, Yeah. I, you know, I did all my homework in, in uh homeroom and if i got below it and to my dad a c minus was a d and a d was an f so if yeah. i got a c minus or worse i was literally humping all of my books from my locker room back to the house on my walk home after school and yeah i had to be studying from the the minute i got home to the minute he got home so they they had pretty high expectations for me. Yeah. Yeah, so nice. Did, nothing too crazy. When was the first time you realized you like loved wrestling? Freshman year. Because I was actually successful. Mm. Um my entire junior high career. So I wrestled sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. Yeah. I won three matches. Yeah. And they were my last three matches of the season. And I'm pretty sure Coach Davis went to the other coach and was like, can I have your biggest fish? <laughs> yeah. Give me your biggest fish. This kid needs a win. Well, and then, I can tell you from, from like coaching standpoint, from, you know, being a coach and whatnot, it's not, you don't ask for the fish, but you ask for people that have similar skills and similar, you know, like you want the competitive match. And I think yeah. it, it spills over even, you know, you're always trying to like get even when you get to high school, you know, you're like looking for these like competitive matches. They're going to push each other and, and see kind of where you're at and test your skills, you know? And, mm-hmm. uh, and it's the same, like when you start out, you don't want somebody that's just going to like dominate the person, you know, you want somebody that's like, all right, well you guys both kind of, you know, are young and haven't won a match. Like that's kind of the, the common, the commentary you see here behind the scenes, like, well, he's won one match this year. And it speaks for itself, right? It's like, okay, we got just the guy for you, you know? Like, all right. Yeah. And, um, and it's not like a diss on the person. It's just that's how you learn, right? That's how you build some confidence and you get the, Absolutely. you get this, uh, you, when you can stay in a match, when you can like learn and, and actually have a chance to try out some things that you're learning. And um, that's how you like gain momentum. And so. From the coach's side yeah. of things, like that's how that well, goes, and it's, it's, you just put it bluntly, but like it's yeah. similar, you know. I mean, well, and as coaches, like we want the sport to grow mm-hmm. because I I spent plenty of time coaching. I coach in the Marine Corps. I coach some peewees. I yeah. coached, you know, some of the guys at my hometown, and you do you want the the sport to grow, and especially when you're in such a small school like I was. Yeah, it's. If you have that kid that just spent three years and got his ass kicked every single match, why is he going to want to come out in high school when the competition's better? The, but the when kids they, are bigger, like. But when they do come back out, even though they're continu- like that's the sign of a like a future. Their future is bright in wrestling. Yeah. Because it it takes a while. It, it generally, uh, but like yeah. you know, yeah, like, screw you. <laughs> I got I got my butt kicked too. You know, like I I like I took yeah, my lumps. At nationals. Well. <laughs> I did get my butt kicked at nationals, but, uh, no, but like I got, I got my butt kicked too, you know? And like when you keep coming back and you keep going and you keep, you know, like showing up or I I've seen, you know, guys that 
some of the my favorite wrestlers to coach um, in the past have been the ones that weren't necessarily like the best on the team, but the mm-hmm. ones that stuck it out for four years and got to their senior year and they had a you know a winning record and they were they were just solid guys where you could count on them to never give up and never quit. And those are the guys you need. Those are the guys that push your yeah. team. Those are your, those are your leaders. Those are the ones that have that mental toughness piece that, um, that is missing sometimes in, in others. And, uh, you know, there's, there's like a, there's just something about that character of that individual that sometimes I think when you can match that character with talent and skill, um, like that's when you see you guys really excel and succeed. Um, not that you can't have it happen vice versa. Right. Yeah. But, um, you, you really see it like they're, they're different. Those, those individuals that have that mental toughness piece as well as like the skills to, to excel and, and succeed. Um, but like, yeah, it's just, it's just interesting. Those are the, some of my favorite people to coach are the ones that just are willing to, to run through a brick wall if you asked them, you know, and uh, they trust you. And um, I don't know. It's fun. Yeah, what was sure your could. What was your high school career? What did that look like? How would you, you describe know, your high school after, career? After starting off uh, three and a million, um, <laughs> my high school career was actually, I'd, I'd say I was an above average wrestler. Yeah. Um. I think for 1A, I was probably – so my school never sent in our record, so none of us were ever ranked. I'd say I was probably – I was definitely top 50 probably every year of, of my career. And I, I don't know if that's being conservative or – I mean, my friends from high school would tell me that I just sucked. But uh, <laughs> I, I never had a losing season. Yeah. And – um, my freshman year was my worst year and I went just about 500, but mm-hmm. it was also one of my most successful years. I, I went to regionals, yeah. uh, got my ass kicked by one of the brothers brothers. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so, and that, that was actually the year that I was like, Hey, you know, this is, this is clicking. I, I like this. I'm actually decent at this. Yeah. Um, so my, my career, I would say, was good enough to make me fall in love with the sport forever. Mm-hmm. You just learn so much. It's just a, it, it's a sport that teaches you about life and overcoming adversity and discipline and I don't know. It, it's a character building sport. I don't think for me in my Marine Corps career, I don't think that there was any better setup. I would agree. For me, then the childhood that I had and the experience that I had wrestling, because yeah. when you're surrounded by a bunch of tough people, a bunch of alphas, it's you're on a different level of toughness. Yeah. And there's been times where it's it really is like it sets you apart and the other people don't understand how you can do those things. And you do or maybe you don't. But I knew I always knew that it was it was because of mostly because of wrestling. Like that's why. Yeah. And and the fact that I, I hated to fail and I hated to let anybody beat me. So mm, see, that was me. And I, I attribute that to, to my success just, you know, in my short time that I had wrestled in high school. But um Yeah, I just I didn't I hate 
I still hate losing, you know, and like, mm-hmm. it's almost like I have, I don't know if I still, I, I probably still do. I still do. But it's like this chip yeah. on my shoulder that I'm like, I don't like, tell me I can't do yeah. something and I'll prove you wrong, you know, kind of thing. Like, yeah. Two stories, <laughs> two stories about yeah, tell me I it. can't do something. So, um, for one, I remember I had, it was one of the last meets of, I think it was my eighth grade it had to be my eighth grade year and my dad and my dad girlfriend actually had a wager with each other that i would lose and my dad put money five bucks down that i was going to get my ass kicked and my dad's girlfriend said i was going to win i think she was just doing it to be nice well <laughs> i was like and at the time i mean i couldn't control it i was like wow my dad is a real asshole but I did get to prove him wrong, and I don't know if that <laughs> resonates. I know it resonates with me now, but yeah. one of the big ones, and this is kind of where my life kind of clicked for me, and I don't remember what year it was, maybe June, sophomore, junior year. Um, my I lived downtown, if that's what you'll call it. I lived on the south side of town <laughs> in Bourbon, and yeah. Plymouth was, I think it's like a nine-mile drive. Um sure. My my brother or whatever had a soccer game or something in Plymouth baseball game, and I said, you know what, I'm I'm gonna run the the rest of the season. I just gotten over. I sucked, in my opinion. And I was like, you know what, I'm gonna prepare for next season. And I said, I'm gonna run to Plymouth. And my dad said, No, you're not. And I said, Yeah, pick me up when I get there. And it was I had never even ran over like two miles, three miles before. <laughs> and I got there. And I was like, yeah, go buy me lunch, bitch. (laughs) I I definitely didn't say that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But yeah, that, that was where my, my kind of screw you mentality. Like I'm going to do it. Yeah. 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 It's like this, uh, we've got this screw loose in our head or something, you know? Mm. Yeah. At least one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Were you involved in any other extracurriculars? I did football, football from sixth grade to junior year. Yeah. I was way too small. My freshman year, I weighed 117 pounds. And uh, I was, I also had the nickname Rudy because <laughs> I was just way undersized, but just, I don't know if I was just too dumb or too tough, but um, either or, that's the, where I because I would just get my ass kicked all practice long and I would just get back up and get back up. And so I did football. I did track, I think, from seventh to eighth grade. I think I just did it in junior high. Yeah. Where I did everything from discus to the mile, which I think I was just, I only did the mile in a pinch because I was slow as hell. Um, and I pole vaulted. I think they just felt sorry for me my eighth grade year, and I wanted to. Try <laughs> I thought about it. So, pole vaulting, uh, doing that my when I was in high school too. I wanted to play baseball. That was always one that I wanted to do. And then, but freestyle season was during the spring, and so I ended yeah, up not my, doing that. But I didn't run my track. My big accomplishment. <laughs> my big accomplishment in uh, pole vaulting was. It was the conference championships, and 
we had three pole vaulters and I think the winner, we, our school took one, two and three. We had one guy that did like, he, he almost set like a, a state record nice. and did like nine foot or something. And then there was the other guy that did like seven foot and I did six, six. So like that, nice. that was, that was my tra- biggest track accomplishment. <laughs> six <laughs> foot awesome. six. That's cool. That's funny. Nice. So you you touched on it. Uh, it was your freshman year of high school. You said uh, you had seen the commercial uh, for the Marines, the the guy climbing the mountain and then slaying the dragon at the top. Yeah. Um, was that your first time really thinking about? You know, the Marines, or had you been thinking about like the military in general? Like what 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 all went into that process i think i think what that was is and it's something that still sticks with me when i go home is i was so kind of looked down upon in in my hometown or at least that's the way i perceived it mm-hmm. because i was small and i you know i wasn't the greatest athlete and you know even my wrestling career like people started to respect my wrestling but freshman sophomore year i was just a little a little kid and yep. um i saw that and i was like that is badass i'm going to show everybody i'm going to show everybody that i can go do the baddest thing possible at yep. least that was my mentality and so the military it it wasn't even about the military it, there was no sir country there was no none of that like yeah it was just i want to go be the baddest dude possible sure and i can i can show them so that's that's kind of where that came from okay uh and then when did you officially was it register sign up enlist so halfway through my junior year in high school the recruiter's sitting there in the cafeteria at this table and I was like, you know what? I'm going to do it. And I <laughs> I used to sit with what would kind of be like the the Bible-thumping nerds. Like, we would play games on the weekends. And, like, they were all very religious. And I, I wasn't really raised that way. But yeah. kind of the nerdy. We were, we were all athletes in one aspect or another. But none of them. I, I just was never really like them mm-hmm. and i was like you know what i'm gonna go talk to the recruiter and i think i talked to him before i was 16 he's like hey i can't i can't touch you until you're 16 or whatever the rule is and so like halfway through my junior year or whatever it was i was i was in the the debt program is what they call it and i i don't even remember what they what the acronym stands for but yeah, so junior year, I already knew where I was going, and it was one of those, like, I knew I could back out, so I really wanted to go wrestle in college, but I knew the chances of that and the fact that, like, my school, unless you're the exemplary guys, the, the Zicks, the the Almers, like, you didn't get that type of attention, and I, I wasn't that guy, I wasn't their skill level, so... I kind of just hedged my bets and assumed that 
I was going to go to the Marine Corps. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to sign up now. And, you know, that's what ended up happening. I didn't get any scholarship offers. And I was like, all right, well, I'll just go to the Marine Corps and pay for my school that way. Yeah. Which I have yet to do. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you graduate high school. Mm-hmm. Yep. And what was that process from there? It was, I think, so you graduate in what, May? Sounds about so right. So yeah. I worked, I had a job at a printing press, I guess you can call it a factory, and I worked with my best friend, Jason Thompson, who's a little shithead, or we were both little shitheads, to be honest, and <laughs> I think the only thing it's I It's okay, he's was, a Bears fan. Yeah, so am I, asshole. Um, <laughs> But I was trying to have I, your back there, as you know, in case he is listening. I wanted, I wanted to give you a, I wanted to give you a little uh, boost on him, but you know, I guess yeah. it just was a ended up getting you too. <laughs> yeah, it did. Um, I actually, I'm not a football fan at all anymore after watching this season. I, I, <laughs> I'm watching cricket. There we um, go. So I, I got him a job at the the printing factory and i think all i ever actually taught him how to do was not do his job Uh, (laughs) i don't remember if he quit or got fired but one or the other and uh so i worked there for a couple months and saved up some money and i was like you know what i want to go do something i want to go see my grandparents my grandparents lived down in tennessee at the time they lived it was over by uh gatlinburg and pigeon forge sure it was there's a town called uh, Kodak or Kodiak. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to get on a Greyhound bus and I'm going to go visit them for a week and a half. Because she was a big part of my life growing up. Mm-hmm. And probably one of the worst experiences I had in my life. Because I don't know if you've ever taken a Greyhound bus anywhere, but it's miserable. Yeah, they're not super comfortable. And especially that yeah. far of a distance. Yeah. So I went down there for like a week and a half. And by September... I think September 1st is when I I, sh- I flew out on September 4th. September 5th, I was standing on the Yellow Footprints, which is they pick you up from the terminal at, in San Diego, and they put you on a bus. You drive over to the depot, the base, and you line up on – they have Yellow Footprints that are all in formation that are painted on the ground. Mm-hmm. And you put your you put your feet on the on the yellow footprints, and that's kind of when shit got real. Yeah, and yeah, and they keep you up for almost like forty eight hours straight. So just, just straight doing... from the time you get there. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Wow. And what was that like? I... What was that like? For do you remember the first forty eight hours? Like, I remember. So, contrary to my personality, I was just. I was quiet and observant, and I think I, I played some pool in the terminal because they have a terminal right there for it's called the USO, and they've got entertainment stuff like that, TVs, food, snacks, and I was just relaxed, like I didn't really talk to anybody, I just BSed a little bit and whatnot, and I just took everything in stride, like I just did what they told me to and spoke when spoken to yelled when asked to yell and i just i mean it was it was crazy because it was it was like damn this is real and yeah 
I think the call to my mom, because they, they put you on this pay phone and they say, call whoever. And you've got this piece of paper taped to the, to the wall and it tells you exactly what to say. And I got my mom's voicemail, of course. Um, so I left her the message and then the rest of the night and the next day are just them pretty much messing with you. Like you're getting your, your camis, you're getting, you know, whatever else you need and stuff like that. And you have no idea what's actually going on. You're just running everywhere. They're making things chaotic and you just yeah. do what you're told. Like what's, it's, it's, what's the, the phone call? What is that? Just like telling them that you're okay and that you're like not going to be talking to them or like, what's that? What's that? Yeah, all about? It's, it's something, it's something along the lines of this is your son, Travis. I just wanted to call and let you know that, I made it to uh, Marine Corps Recruit Training Depot, San Diego, and um, I will write you a letter as soon as I can. Don't expect a phone call for, you know, whatever. And it it's just a general, I'm yeah. here, I'm safe. Gotcha. Which is pretty considerate, considering it's the Marine Corps. <laughs> <laughs> so the first 48 hours, you said you're just, it's just fallen orders, essentially, and you're just running around and doing whatever they tell you to do, and... Is it pretty physical or is no, it no, just it's, a mental it's, game? Yeah, it, it's at that point, it's all just mental. It's sleep deprivation. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, the first time you actually get to sleep, you hear like kids crying in their rack or in their bed. And, you know, you hear them crying and some of them are, oh, really? I shouldn't have left. And, yeah, it's it's kids that have probably never been stressed ever in their life. Gotcha. And I'm not saying I was like, oh, this is easy, but I was like, this is kind of what I expected. Like, yeah, I expected to be screwed with. I expected it to be exhausting. Yeah. I, yeah. So it wasn't anything that surprised me, to be honest. So then what happens after that? Um, then it's just boot camp. Uh, boot camp is just everything is extremely regimented. Mm-hmm. You wake up at this time, they have everything planned out. Um, they do as much to, it's, it's more mental than anything. Yeah. Like for us being wrestlers, like I wrestled year round, whether I competed or not, it didn't matter. I was on the wrestling mat right? or I, I was always in shape. So to me, like physically there was, it was never hard. Mm-hmm. I, when most kids lose weight, I gained weight because I wasn't, I wasn't as active. I was eating more than I, I was used to eating. Yeah. And I put on probably 10 pounds of muscle. Yeah. So it's, it's a lot of learning. You're everything you do every day, all day is, is learning something. You're learning how to march. You're learning how to eat. You're learning how to be professional. You're learning how to take orders and be a, a follower. It's, everything is learning and the way they put it because i at one point in time i wanted to be a drill instructor mm-hmm. they want to break you down to you're no one i don't care if you were the prince of freaking zimbabwe you're no one now you are you are a recruit whoever you're a recruit gallinger now you don't matter to anyone i don't care if you're the ceo of uh, of Fortune 500 company doesn't matter. Yeah, like, you can be 18 or 28. Like, and and that's the thing. 
is that's that's the cool part, which I had learned from an early age that you can learn anything from anyone. When I had like a seven year old kick me in the eye while putting me in an arm bar <laughs> at a wrestling meet, yeah. so it was it was easy for me to just shut up and accept the things. And you have two options: like you're loud and you you make a name for yourself and maybe you get put into a leadership position within the platoon or you shut up and you follow orders and you just be a, a good recruit and make your life easy. And typically I try to just shut up and make my life easy and just get by because it's three months of mind games. Essentially. Yeah. yeah. I know, I know we've talked a little bit and you've kind of mentioned it a little bit, but did you like the structure of that or like the regimented part? There's absolutely nothing to like about boot camp. Okay. Like, (laughs) it all sucks. Yeah. You're around 100 other dudes 24-7. You're getting yelled at half the day all the time. You stink. Even your shower time, we would have what's called a a wagon wheel shower time, which is literally like the whole platoon, which at one point in time was like 100 dudes when we started. You just file in. You have two showers, like gym showers. So all your shower heads are on the outside. Yeah. And they turn all the showers on, and you literally just walk underneath all all the showers. And within those two shower rooms, you have to be, I guess maybe it was one, but you have to be showered. Yeah. So wash your hair, wash your body, get out. And... <laughs> So there's nothing to like about boot camp. Yeah. yeah. Gotcha. So you graduate boot camp, and what was next for you? Next, it's uh, Marine Corps combat training. Well, technically, you go on leave. You go on boot leave, and I was right there. I graduated. Um, actually, I graduated September 5th. I didn't hit the depot September 5th. My bad. Um, so I graduated September 5th. I had some long leave. I went on leave. I had boot. I had MCT, which is Marine Corps Combat Training. Yeah. Where basically every Marine is a rifleman, so they try to teach you simple rifleman things. Like you're you're not actually a rifleman, but you get to shoot different weapons and play with communications stuff, radios and whatnot. And was that something you got to choose, to, or was that something? How no, to... it's. I think it's. It's like six weeks, of just okay combat training getting forced it's just down something your that everybody does yes gotcha yeah well everybody that's not infantry if you're infantry then you go to a legitimate infantry school or if you're a how do you, combat how do MOS. they choose who that is or is it like tests so you sign up typically you sign up so there's two things you can do when you get into the marine corps you can sign up to do a specific job, and if that job is available, then you can go do that job. If not, you choose another one. Or you choose an open contract, which is you're going to go wherever the Marine Corps needs you to go, whatever job that is, as long as your ASVAB score, which is the test you take to get into the military, mm-hmm. and is standard across all military branches, Yeah. Um, whatever job you can get into. Gotcha. So... If you choose any combat MOS, so you're talking, I think, like, you're talking infantry, artillery, mortarmen, anything where you have the potential to be on the front lines. I think even tanks might go through it. No, because I had a tanker guy in my um, MCT. 
So yeah, that's when you go to that. And that's a more extensive, obviously long-term training. I think that's a couple months, but MCT is pretty quick, but it was, I think it was worse than boot camp because it was just, you had more freedom, but they were bigger assholes to us. Cause I don't think they actually, the instructors wanted to be there. So, yeah. And then, uh, so after that, what do you do after that? After that, I graduated, I think I graduated right around Christmas. So I had some extended leave. Nice. So did you get to go home I for that went, then? Or? Yes. I, I went home. I went on recruiter's duty, which I basically just, I was my recruiter's bitch and did whatever he didn't want to do. Go mm-hmm. to this school today, go try to get people to sign up, uh, do this, do that. And you're, you know, you're this brand new Marine. You think, Oh, I look badass in these blues. I'm going to pull all the women here. And yeah, you don't, it, I wasn't that way, you know, <laughs> acne ridden and just tiny. Do you uh, get paid but, like through that? Like, yeah. so, I, okay. So you, you come yeah. out like you, you have some, some money then. Yeah. You're, you're making money from, from the day you step on the depot. Okay. So you're getting paid at, x amount now it's not much yeah as a psc you're making but you're not also not spending anything so yeah yeah you're not spending anything as a psc you're making like 1200 bucks maybe yeah as a private first class so you're not you're not making much but yeah so you are making money but it's it's not much at all sure and from there i went to my administrative school which was in, uh, and all my training previously was in on Camp Pendleton or San Diego. So mm-hmm. I was in San Diego County the whole time. Um, from there, I went to my administrative school, which was in um, Camp Lejeune, North Carolina. That was pretty miserable. Is that what, is that I'm, something everybody does as well? No, this was specific to my job. Okay, because I was a personnel administrator, and like I said before, it's the pretty much a secretary yeah do you and like do you apply for that like how do you get that job no it was it was one of those so the way i got suckered into it and the way the marine corps is genius with how they get smart people to do this job because typically this is one of those jobs like it does not require a high asvab score okay i scored high on the asvab but the way they get you is they get these kids that say hey i want to go to the marine corps and be a lawyer but I don't have a degree. And they're like, oh, look at this. We have this thing called a legal admin option. Mm. So you kind of get your that foot, means, foot wet. Well, so you think. Ah. Well, the thing is, is there's two different types of, at the time there are three different types of administrators, but there's two different types of administrators. You have legal admin clerks, which only do legal stuff, but at the same time, you're just like a legal clerk. Like, you don't actually do anything. Yeah. You just push papers for the attorney. Then you have the the general personnel admin, which deals with everything from you might get to do some legal stuff, you might have to print out awards, you might have to print out promotion papers, or just do papers for this guy's going over here, or this guy is getting married, and it's you're just a secretary Mm -hmm. so that's how they got me with that so that that was another specific one that that i signed up for gotcha and that class was pretty useless to be completely honest and that was probably 
two or three months I was on that base. And so how long have you yeah. been into the military to this point? Um, six, seven months, maybe. Okay. So still within seven, your first months. year. Yes, absolutely. Gotcha. And then where is it when you sign up, is it contractually for two years or what's that look like? So the typical contract is four years active duty, four years reserve duty. There are other branches of the military that will do something like a three-year active duty, five-year inactive or yeah. reservist. Um, so that those are the, the two typical contracts. In the Marine Corps, there's pretty much – the only thing I've ever heard of is four-on-four-off. Okay. So, so you've got a four-year contract. Gotcha. I – I hit what we call the fleet in October. Nope. Yeah, maybe maybe it was October. I think around October 2008. So you figure I had been in the Marine Corps for, I guess, like 10 or 11 months by that time mm-hmm. from the day I graduated. So almost a year, and I ended up in Okinawa, Japan. Gotcha. So, which is something I I requested. I wanted to go over there, and when you graduate your first school, you can you can request to go certain places, but it's wherever the Marine Corps needs you at the end of the day. How was your and, experience there? Um, it was it was good. Looking back, it was okay. Um, what was your job not, title, or what were you doing when you were there? Same thing. I was just okay. a personnel administrator. Got it. Um, so when you when you get on island, they, they give you a brief and they tell you you're going to become one of three things or a combination of three things. You're going to become an alcoholic, a gym rat, or a Bible thumper. And that's exactly the way they described it. Or a combination of three of them. And I became an alcoholic and a gym rat. Gotcha. So... And it, it was a good time. I I was fortunate enough in my position that I worked for people directly that were higher up in in the chain of command. I had a driver's license by I don't know a year, year and a half of being there. Um, <clears throat> I made the Marine Corps wrestling team. I didn't make. I got invited to try out for the Marine Corps wrestling team. I did that for about a month, month and a half, which was physically the most demanding thing I've ever done in my life. Hands down, <laughs> nothing compares. We're yeah. talking the first week, I'm I'm literally going up and down stairs sideways. Like, I was so sore it hurt to sleep. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, I got paid to wrestle. Yeah. Like, there was nothing better. And an easy practice for us is what we called the bridge run which was a six mile run. That was an easy practice. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was, college, that was a pretty cool experience. College Go athletics. Ahead. You know, I didn't, I didn't wrestle in college because Bethel had dropped the wrestling program, but yeah, I um, got that on you. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, I played soccer there and it's just, everything's intensified. Yeah. Yeah. The first day the coach, the coach's belief was, the only way to get in shape is to shock your body in shape. And I have never, to this day, I have never puked 
because of physical wear. Like I've, I've never, I've pushed my body to almost passing out, but I've never puked. And I remember the way the first hour, hour and a half started off was buddy carry drills around. We had an entire gym. So we had like three and a half mats set up in this entire mat floor gym. Mm -hmm. And we had to run around the whole outside with your buddy that you're carrying. And I remember I set my buddy down and I was dizzy as hell. I thought I was going to pass out. And I literally just picked him up and said, well, I guess if I pass out, then I'm done. (laughs) (laughs) But I, I survived and... I was going to get brought on the team as basically a practice squad or an alternate. And uh, my unit actually pulled me back because they didn't think, I, I guess they didn't think I was going to make the team, which they weren't wrong. I didn't make the team, <laughs> but I, I wasn't going to get to compete anyway. Yeah. And the, the caliber of guys they had there, like four of the dudes got offered full ride scholarships to Michigan state. Gotcha. Like, and you figure right there, that's, that's a third of the team. Yeah. <laughs> So way beyond my skill level. Sure. Sure. Um, so this is still all in Japan. Yeah, that's still, that's all within the first, I don't know, year and a half. Yeah. How long were you there? I guess that was my next question. So in total, not counting like the deployment and everything, I was there three and a half years in Japan. Yes. Oh, wow. Nice. And were you doing the same job the whole time? With the exception, so about half the time I was actually stationed in Japan. About half the time I was training to deploy or on deployment. Okay. So I only spent about a year and a half total on island. Okay. Because in two, go ahead. Did you like, I mean, obviously you like Japan you stuck around a little bit right so as a single marine your orders overseas are always two years Mm -hmm. so um i was coming up on my year and a half when i got this i got this deployment opportunity and you have the opportunity you have the option to extend so you can extend a year or 18 months or whatever it may be Mm -hmm. to stay on island and it's the Marine Corps. So if, if your reason for extending on Island is to deploy, the Marine Corps is like, well, hell yeah. And it saves the Marine Corps money. And okay. when you're the smallest branch in the, in the military, they're all about saving money. Yeah. So the I Marines are the smallest branch. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. I think we're only at the last I saw, and this is old data, but, we were only 180,000 people. Gotcha. Yeah, I didn't know that. I would have thought that you were bigger. Marines were bigger. Nope. Interesting. Uh, that's not counting the Coast Guard. I don't know. Uh, which yeah. I don't. Yeah, it's just they, Coast they're Guard. probably puddle, smaller. Puddle jumpers. <laughs> um, so you were in, you pretty much spent your, like, all four years, your first four years, you know, outside of basic training and whatnot but then the three years after that so you you completed your first four years basically in japan yeah when i got back from deployment i actually re-enlisted in japan gotcha so 
So after yep. after those, you know, four years, you you just kind of touched on it. You got deployed, but did that come next, or what was after that? So, in it was a couple months before my rotation date, and that's what we call when your when your tour in that location is over. We call it a rotation date. Um, I so a couple months prior, I had been passed up for a deployment opportunity and I was pretty pissed off and, and my Lieutenant knew about it. Mm-hmm. So I get called into her office one day and I'm, I was so pissed off that like, I told you I worked for some high ranking individuals. Like they were sitting there trying to figure out like they were going to hook me up. Like, where do you want to go name the place? Mm-hmm. As long as it's not overseas again, it, it had to be stateside somewhere. What's the um, draw. What was your draw to, to be, deployed somewhere or what why why is that something that you wanted that's why you joined the marine corps and in in my opinion you joined the marine corps to deploy okay and the way the personnel administration was sold to me is that i would still get to do marine corps shit Mm -hmm. i would still get to go blow stuff up i would still go get to shoot at people like that's what i wanted to do i wanted to be um, I wanted to be uh, reconnaissance, but I knew my mom didn't want me to be. So I changed. My recruiter was good at his job. He was an asshole. And me, the personnel administration aspect, mm-hmm. by telling me I'm still going to get to deploy, I'm still going to go get to do all this cool stuff, not knowing that I was actually going to get to go do that stuff. Mm-hmm. So one day my lieutenant, my boss, calls me into her office, and she's like, well, I have a couple opportunities for you. One is you can deploy and go do your job. I was like, okay, well, what's the other opportunity? And she's like, two, you can deploy on what is called an embedded training team, and you can go to Afghanistan on a combat deployment and go train the Afghan army. I was like, why did you even ask me the question? <laughs> I literally told her that. I said, why did you ask me that? You know exactly what I'm going to say. And she's like, okay, well, you're on the team as an alternate. And I said, right then and there, I won't be by the time training's over. Yeah. And so I couldn't even tell you what month in 2009 we started training. This is 2009. Yeah, this is 2009. Where was your training at? It started out in Okinawa. Okay. Um, we, We did a lot of workups there. And I got some amazing training. We're talking everybody from people that study IEDs for their job, um, people that study the culture. We had interpreters. We had people that that lived and grew up in Afghanistan come train us. Um, we had FBI agents, people that worked for the FBI come and, and break things down to us in spectacular ways and in ways that I'll never forget. Things like what a sacrificial room looks like, like when they cut dudes' heads off or people's heads off, like they set things up a certain way. And it that was one of the most miraculous classes I've ever been to because it they taught it in a way that when they wanted you to remember something visual, they would stand on this side of the room because your eyes move to this side of the room and your brain retains that portion because Mm. you're looking that way and then the opposite for the other and 
that was just a phenomenal, phenomenal class. And from there, from Okinawa, we went to, uh, I don't think we did anything on Pendleton, but we went to 29 Palms. We did some desert training. Yeah. I got to, during the Super Bowl, so this was Super Bowl time frame, so what, like February? 2009 anyway, still? 2000, it would be 2010 at this point in time. Okay. Um, we were in Nevada, and we went and did some mountain warfare training, and I think our base camp was at like 6,000 feet. Yeah. We were way up in the mountains, and it was one of the most fun and rigorous, rigorous, I said rigorous, rigorous training that I'd ever done. But it was, and it was kind of pointless to be honest. It just taught you how to climb mountains. Yeah. But um, it it was it was pretty cool. But waking up when it's like twenty degrees, you're at six thousand feet. You're literally spooning with three other dudes in a tent. Um, it was it, it definitely made your team really close. I'll put it that way. Yeah. Cold. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's cold. <laughs> but then once you got moving, it's it's weird, and I'm sure you've climb some mountains because you're crazy but <laughs> once you get moving like you don't need a whole lot of stuff yeah because you don't want to start sweating either yeah so it was it was just interesting it was it was pretty cool i have some really sweet pictures nice. um just because it was beautiful i think one of the highlights though was you, there's no there's no bathrooms up there because you're living in tents right so you you poop in plastic bags on a five gallon bucket yeah and about 100 meters away from the campsite was this little creek. And we had set up our five-gallon bucket, basically our poop station, right by the creek. There was nothing better than going and dropping a deuce in front of this this beautiful little creek with this beautiful <laughs> mountainous drop set, snow cat. Like, it was, it was the most relieving thing ever. Like, nothing behind you mattered. Yeah. Yeah, there's... There's a hundred dudes behind you, but you know what? This right here, pooping, it, it was great. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds beautiful. Sounds peaceful. It was phenomenal. <laughs> um, so how long was your training? I don't know, like eight months, I guess. Okay. So th- that was like your last one? Uh, that. Yeah. I, I ended up... I think we had to fly back to Okinawa and then I had to fly back stateside for pre-deployment leave. And I remember I was home for my birthday. So it was March. I turned 21 back home. And, uh, I, I think by the time I turned 21, I think it was like a week before or a week after that I was flying over to Afghanistan. Yeah. So, so you get to Afghanistan and what was that experience like? From that point, a mind fuck. Um, so sure. we, you know, you have to take like seven stops just to get to Afghanistan, and I'll I'll skip the the boring parts. But um, so the way I was in Marja is where I was stationed, and I think National Geographic or Vice, or probably not Vice, maybe it was HBO. HBO did a a whole series on Marja, Afghanistan. It's okay. called The Battle for Marja. And I was there about two weeks after they stopped filming. But it was the biggest helo insertion since Vietnam. And when I got there, we, we 
landed in the middle of this field and it was dark as hell and me being the lowest ranking guy on the team like i had to un- unload this helicopter mm-hmm. where you're in the it was like some james bond shit like you we just they just drop you off they don't tell you where you're going you have no idea and next thing i know like i'm unloading this helicopter with like two other dudes just you don't know what's going on you're like all right well i'm gonna get sniped anytime now is your mindset yeah. and uh that's that's kind of how that all started and we sat around a base for a couple of days and figured out where everybody was going and eventually we got to our cop which is the uh company outpost yeah and it, it was called cop turbet and if if anybody watches the documentary cop turbet is where they actually filmed. And the reason they named it Cop Turbet is because they had a guy with the last name Turbet. He, on one of the first couple days of the invasion, he ended up, I think he, I'm, I'm not sure if he got shot or not, but because I wasn't there, but um, so they named the base after him. And I was out there for nine months in, uh, in Marja. And I was, when did they tell you, like when you get off the, you know, you unpack the the helicopter and was it right away then they told you where you were and what was going on. And, but when was so, that, what was that experience like? I mean, I knew in, I knew before we got, I knew before we even shipped out that we were going to Mars, Afghanistan. I didn't okay. tell anybody because I knew that in 2010 National Geographics had labeled Marja Afghanistan the number one most dangerous place in the world. I wasn't going to tell my family that. Yeah. Like, I didn't tell them where I was going. So they told you before or you just you just guessed yeah. or okay, gotcha. Yeah, we we knew and because originally I was I was supposed to go I was one of the teams that was going to replace the teams that Dakota Myers was on. Okay. And and Dakota Myers is a Medal of Honor recipient. There was some really unfortunate events that happened up there, and um, we were in Twenty Nine Palms, and we had some high ranking uh, people come down and tell us that we straight up weren't deploying. So they had to change our whole deployment because they they won't send us to that place anymore because it was yeah it was not a place they wanted to send Marines. Um. Yeah, was that in the valley or that little? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah so I've, if you've seen uh, Restrepo. Yeah, I think I have. Yeah. It's yeah, Restrepo's up in that area. It was, it's northern Afghanistan. Where you were mountains. Yeah, like the base was down. Like there wasn't like a safe place to be, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. Gotcha. That's that's where I was supposed to be. So. Yeah, they, they changed that up and told us we weren't going there, and they didn't know what they were doing with us for a while. So mm-hmm. they decided to attach us to a unit, um, 1st Battalion, 6th Marines, and that's how I ended up in Marja. Gotcha. So the, the goal was to uh, take the, the 215th Corps Afghan Army and train them. That's That was my whole job, go on patrols with them, live with them, train them how to do simple infantry things yeah and that's that's what we did and I, I made some really good friends out there with them yeah yeah that's the when you when you spend that much time with people you know whether it's 
your American comrades or, you know, um, you know, the people you were training, I mean, you, you're bound to like make some really good relationships and friendships and, uh, build just a strong bond with those, those people. Yeah, it was, it was fantastic. Just learning about their culture in mm -hmm. general. Um, it's, what did you learn? People... What did you learn most about the, their culture? What did What did you? What's one of the? What are a few things that you like took from, you know, learned for, about their culture? I guess. For one, at the end of the day, I really learned to practice the, the phrase "to each his own," mm. um, because, at the end of the day, we're we're all people. Yeah. And what I learned from them was. As Muslims, honestly, they're probably more giving and more understanding than any other religion I've ever been with. Yeah. Um, they were absolutely fantastic. One of the I wasn't out there two months and I'm I'm sitting at one of these posts and it was a cold night that night. And I was just there observing and helping to train and and monitor some of my Afghan forces. And I had laid down to go to sleep, and I didn't have a blanket because I didn't think it was going to get that cold. So I, I covered up with my flat jacket, my, my bulletproof vest. And I guess I must have fallen asleep and ended up shivering. Next thing I know, I, I ended up waking up to one of the Afghans giving me a blanket, his blanket, because he was going on post. And he was going to go stand security, and he wanted me to have his blanket. Yeah. And we couldn't speak the same language. Sure. Like he had no idea. I didn't know this dude. Like I, I, I'd only known him for a month mm -hmm. and yeah, he just, that was the first time that I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to try to learn much about these people as possible and, yeah, and just let them know that we're, we're here for them. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that, awesome. What, what was, was, so with the language barrier, what was that, uh, was that hard? How did you, what was the process of training a group of people with, with a language barrier like that? So I had an interpreter almost the majority of the time. I made really good friends with my interpreter. Were they Afghani who, as well, or was it? He was, he was Afghan. Okay. Yeah. He wasn't from the area. He was from Kabul okay. and he was actually a super smart dude. He was really smart. Yeah. Um, but by the end of my tour, he, he said that I knew enough Pashto and Dari, which is two different, two different dialects mm -hmm. that I, I didn't need an interpreter to, to get through basic conversation. Sure. So I picked up on the language really quick because I wanted to, I, I wanted to, to yeah. make those connections and be close with those guys. Well, and that had to go a long way too. Oh, it did. They they love me. That they're a huge fan of. So the the common perception and maybe misconception of like the whole gay thing. Yeah. That there is some truth to that, and I was this tiny, not tiny. I was one hundred and fifty pounds blonde-haired, blue-eyed dude. And uh, not only did they respect me, but they, they thought I was pretty attractive too. So 
I had no problems making friends. Cool. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Did, um, I lost my train of thought. Sorry. I had a question. Um, we'll shift gears. So what, like, what was your, when you're talking about training, what does that look like? What, it, what kind of training are you providing? Is this just, Every, is, is this like you're, you're training people like you once were like just brand new enlistees? Yeah, pretty or? Much, okay. Pretty much. I'm, I'm training, we're training them from everything from how to clean their weapon to how to go on patrol to how to perform a, a single day operation, a raid package to a multi-day operation to logistics to how to how to get your vehicle fixed you're you're literally every single facet mm-hmm. um to include uh just being clean and how to maintain a base yeah like everything and communication driving every single thing you can imagine yeah so where you guys were at, what was your, um, you know, you'd mentioned that it, it was risky or it was, um, dangerous there, but what was your like level of danger, I guess, at that time? It took, so for me, I, we went on a patrol just about every day and the deployment started out kind of slow, but they, the Taliban at the time knew when new units was getting in. So they would, when a new unit would get in, they would test that unit. Mm. And, um, so by the time I had gotten to Marja, they'd already tested that unit. They already knew. So they weren't, it was pretty slow. I didn't get shot at for like the first three months. By the time I had gotten shot at, there was already a new unit starting to integrate itself into my position um, so it took me about three months until I started to get shot at and they, they pretty much tested us. I probably got shot at at least once a week from then on out for the next six months. When, and, uh, when that first time happened, what, like, can you ever be prepared for that moment? Like, what is that? What's that feeling like? What is that? It's gotta be the mo- time stands still. Yeah. It's, so your your first time, at least for me, the first thing I did was drop down to the ground. And fortunately, I was kind of already sitting there. Yeah. And it was funny because we're sitting in this in this um, little ditch, and I knew we were in a vulnerable position. And I looked over at the new guy from the new unit, and I said, "Watch, this is where we get shot at." Not having been shot at myself. Yeah. But I just knew. I'd been out enough. I, I'd seen the scouts enough. I knew when it was going to happen. And lo and behold, like 30 seconds later, we start getting shot at. Mm-hmm. And the first thing you do, like even though I had great defilade, I had great cover, I dropped down to laying down. And it, it felt like I was down there for a while. Yeah. But I know that in real time, it couldn't have been more than a couple seconds before I popped up, tried to acquire a target, and... And started returning fire. Yeah. So it's, I mean, there's nothing else that compares. Like, I've yeah. never jumped out of an airplane, but I've I've gone fast in cars. I've done stupid things, and there is no adrenaline rush like that. Mm-hmm. And 
it's I've, I've got this big grin on my face because I, as you said screws are loose there's just nothing like it and it's granted that one nothing serious well it, it did it something happened later on but um at that point in time like it's just it's kind of indescribable like it's it's the biggest adrenaline rush that yeah travis i know we've we've talked a little bit like i said we talked for about an hour yesterday and i know that there's a lot more to your story and some more things that you wanted to share we're getting to that 75 minute we just passed 75 minutes um are you on a time frame do you have a time crunch here do you want to keep talking i say this because if you do what i will do is is we'll we'll just continue on. We'll do a to be continued and then we can record the second part. So we don't run in the risk of like running out of time. Does that make sense? Let's, yeah, we can keep going. I got, I got nothing but time tonight. Okay, I cool. made sure I made plenty of time for you. All right. So I'm going to close this out, but if you're listening to this point in time, uh, this story is going to be to be continued and I will post this as well. The, the second round of uh, Travis's story. So first I want to say thank you for listening, um, for everybody listening. I'm going to just close us out here. Thank you all so much for listening. If you've enjoyed the show today, visit us on Facebook and Instagram and like comment on the post. If you want to go above and beyond, get the word out and share more about Crazy Face Uno. You can share with your friends, your family, random strangers on the street. We're welcome to everybody. Please visit subscribe Crazy Face. Subscribe. <laughs> Please visit crazyface Buy merchandise and you can donate there. Your contribution helps us share more stories like Travis's and stories just like yours. I want to thank you all so much for listening. This story is to be continued. So I hope you tune in next time. Thanks again for listening. Peace.